We're going to stand and read God's Word. If you do not have one of these sheets, you didn't know to get one, raise your hand, please. So one of our members is going to give you theirs. Everybody got one? Now say this with a loud, strong voice. This is the gospel radiating out into the world. Here we go. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and no longer answers me, either through prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may make known to me what I should do. Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? The Lord has done according as he spoke through me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Then Saul immediately fell full length upon the ground and was very afraid because of the words of Samuel. Also, there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day and all night. Thank you. Please be seated. It isn't pretty. Uh, There is no joy in reading this story, I'm sure you notice if you paid attention to those words. It's mostly warning. That's what God is saying through this text. It's a warning. Hear me. It is possible, maybe even common, for a person to come to the end of your life with nothing but regrets. Nothing. Assignments that you failed, opportunities that you wasted, friendships that you've broken... It is not even unusual, it is common for people to come to the end of their life and all they have is regrets. That's certainly Saul's story. The first king of Israel, anointed by God, he has tasted the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God's Spirit, and yet in these last days he's increasingly become moody and suspicious, angry and alone. Tomorrow he will be dead, surrounded at the end by his sons and soldiers, who tried to help him, but they never could. What's the benefit of such a sad story? Why in the world would anybody want to come to church and hear a story like that? Only this. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. Not for you, not for me, not for a single person in here. It does not have to end this way, the way it did for Saul. On your listening sheets, the Bible talks about 2 Corinthians 7.10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance that is without regret, leads to salvation, but the sorrow of the world only leads to death. You will have nothing when it's over. The sorrow according to the will of God produces a repentance, and that will lead you to a place where you are not regretful. It's an interesting word in the Greek. It's a triple compound, not after to care is what it really translates in when life is over or a particular chapter of it 
You don't have to carry that as a burden with you for the rest of your life. You don't have to be filled with regret. If you will, repent, find the mistake, find God, receive forgiveness, learn the lesson, He will set you free. You won't wear it the rest of your life and carry it to the very end of life. The gospel does not promise no pain. It promises no prison. That God would come this morning and take a key and through your own inward reorientation to God and His will, a, a, a work deep within your heart that happens, He could set you free and you would end this chapter and all chapters without regret. Saul never did this. The appropriate question is, am I? Am I living this way? Do I know this secret? Are you? Are you living this way? Are you fixing it along the way? Are you attending to this along the way? You cannot put this off. you got to deal with it now. That's the way you get free. This morning we're at the end of 13 weeks of study in 1 Samuel. It's been rich and good. We're going to look back over Saul's life, and I just encourage you to draw lessons from it. Mine is a simple ref reflection, but it will re require deep honesty with everybody in here. Draw a little circle around yourself, just you now. Be honest within that circle. Talk to yourself about that. Um, as I preach this morning, I'm very aware of our graduating seniors. Um, probably, if you're a graduating senior this morning, you have a great deal of trouble imagining that life could ever catch up on you, that life would ever come back to bite you. You're 18, you're hopeful, you're bulletproof. But you walk five years down the road and look back on the class of 2018, you'll see it. You walk 10 years and look back on the class of 2018, you'll see it even better. Uh, sometimes the deepest regrets of our life are not the things that we do, they are the things that we don't do. Um, the things that you refuse to do. A high and noble call will come from the Spirit of God that will be consistent with His purpose for your life. A high and noble call will come to you. And you will say, no, I can't do that now, or I'm busy, or I've got things to do, or I want to have fun in college. And I promise you, to turn that down, you will regret that. Every moment that the Spirit comes near you is His gift to you, and the greatest regret will be when you said no thank you to that high and noble call. And it's not enough to be a good person. Because from the perspective of men, Saul was a good person. He was brave. He was humble. He was involved at least in some extent to the purposes of God and his world. Um, but he ended his life, and that's what the warning is, he ended his life completely broken and empty. He had nothing. All he had was regrets. So I'll mention four things this morning, and maybe you can turn them into lessons for yourself. Four things that Saul never did, you consider, please. I will listen to God's Word. I will listen to God's Word. Chapter 15 is where this started in this blessed book. Rather than obey God's Word as it really came to him, exactly it was as given... Saul began to navigate life through his own wisdom, the approval of others, and the achievement of his own goals. He began to say, I hear what God is saying, but I have a lot of things to get done. And so he gave partial attention to God's word 
which is no attention to God's word. And he began to navigate life through his own self-will. Whether the word comes to you through the Bible, that's us, or through the direct words of the prophet Samuel, when God speaks into the world that he made, when God speaks into the world that he made, when God speaks into the world that he made, it requires careful attention on everybody's part and reverent obedience. That's the one thing he expects of you, that you would hear him, that you would hear him and listen to what he is saying. Now, others will abandon this rule. We are the minority report now. Most people in this generation do not believe that if you walk according to the this book and all it reveals that you will end up your days with great joy, deep satisfaction. Most people don't believe that anymore, but time will prove it. That If you have adopted that heart, you will see that everything changes except this book. Everything else will pass away, but not the promises that God has made here. At the end... You will have no regrets, and you will look back on this day or a day like it where you said, I will do it. I'm going to do what you are asking of me. Say it to yourself, please. I will listen to God's silence. I will listen to his word. I will listen to his silence. Saul never did. He never noticed with appropriate gravity the condition of his soul, how angry he always was. That was always somebody else's fault. How he was jealous and anxious. The scripture says the deeds of the flesh are evidence. You should know that. If that's really what you're, where you're living, it's telling you the condition of your heart. It's boiling up from inside of you that the flesh is in charge of your life. He never stopped to say, hey, maybe it isn't life's problem. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the one who has drifted away from the eternal God and I'm the one who needs to be fixed. He never noticed when God stopped speaking to him, at least not in the sense of taking responsibility for it. He would pray and there'd be absolutely no answer coming from God. And this is no ordinary unanswered prayer. That is not what's going on here. This is Isaiah 59.2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that he cannot save. That's not the problem, everybody. His ear is not so dull that he cannot hear you. That's not the problem. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. He does not hear you. Not until you are willing to come back and deal with him at the point of his creation purpose and his salvation purpose, pretty much the conversation is over at this point. You cannot end around that thing that he has asked of you and then see if you can create a, a friendship with him on the other side of it. He's, he's stopped talking. Why would he talk to you? Because you are not listening. Churches get in this place. Nations get in this place. Marriages get in this place. The only way to get back to it is go back to the place where it was broken. You cannot say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Saul did. He was sorry but until you are willing to go back to the place where it got broken and deal with the god this eternal god he never changes his mind he never changes what he's expecting of you so you can pay me now or you can pay me later you can do now or you can do 10 years from now but sooner or later if it's god that you want you have to deal with god 
at the very point that he's always asked you to do so. Um, say it to yourself, I will find and keep spiritual friends. Saul was strong or stronger when he had Samuel. But like all spiritual friends, when Saul drifted from God, Samuel abandoned the relationship. When Saul began to drift from God, Samuel was out of there. 1 Corinthians 5.10 says, Actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he's immoral, if he is covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. If he's one thing at church and he's another thing in his private life, you get out of there. Now, maybe you feel the tension with that text of Jesus being a friend of sinners. I hope you do. Hear me. Hear me. To the extent that a person is open to God, you can be and should be his friend. To the extent that he is not open to God, even if he says he is, you get out of there. You get out of there. Because God will use even that in his life to his salvation. Part of Saul's mistake was he could never overcome an overdependency on Samuel. He thought, you do the religious stuff, I'll do the government stuff. You pray, I'll fight the battles, and I'll just depend on you to do my praying for me. And when the came, time came where he needed to pray, when he needed to hear from God, he had no idea how to do that. He had never developed a personal and real, intense relationship with God. He had no idea how to seek the wisdom and counsel of the Eternal One. Uh, if you find a spiritual friend, and God bless you if you do, you must still find the spiritual friend. You must find the one who is your guide, and you must develop a relationship with him. Say it to yourself, I will repent. I will listen to God's word. I will listen when he grows silent. I will find and fix spiritual friendships. And I will repent. Here again is Saul's great mistake. One that you can avoid. Would you live a life without regret? Then start here. I will seek the Lord and I will soften to his will one step at a time. You cannot repent once in your conversion. It is a lifetime of changing underneath his dear hand. Uh, you do not have to be perfect. But you have to be pliable. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me. Make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. The idea here is not that you've ever been a perfect person. There wouldn't be one person who passed that standard. But the heart that he hears is the one that says, teach me one more time. Say it one more time what you want from me. And I will do what you are asking me. And it is never too late. Can I get an amen? And it is never too late. Can I get an amen? amen. The thief on the cross, Zacchaeus, found joy after years of terrible decisions. Years of it. But they had the one qualification that trust always requires of us. Will you surrender? Will you let me guide? Will you let me be God? You are not God. You never will be God. Will you let me be God? And will you surrender in faith to me 
and I will lead you forward. In Genesis 25, 8, it says this wonderful word. Abraham breathed his last. He died at a ripe old age. I'm not sure I want to be ripe. <laughs> I don't know what that means, ripe. Keep going. But he was satisfied. He was satisfied with life, and they gathered him up into his people. What a remarkable statement. What a godly ambition. What a gift of the gospel to say to every soul in here, this could be you. You could, at the end of life, have no regrets that what you did is at every stage you surrendered to the great God who is the only treasure you'll ever have. He's the only treasure that you will carry across into the eternal world and you can begin to have him now. You say to him, I will hear you. I will hear it when you stop talking to me and recognize that's prob a problem. I will find friends to guide me. And as I know your will, I will bend and soften and obey. That will lead you, I promise, it will lead you to a place of no regrets. Let's pray. So now, according to your great faithfulness in the person of your Holy Spirit, both in this room and in a thousand rooms across the world through internet stream, come and tell us again that we are loved, but that we are rebels, and that the way forward with a great God is for us to soften our hearts and obey you. It will look like faith. It will be the reception of your love for us. It will look like worship. We will call you God and we will do what you ask. Thy word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light. Uh, how blessed is the man who doesn't listen to this culture, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So today, I know the way is narrow and few people find it, but one or many lead them up onto that road and without any regard for what anybody else thinks or says, let that man, that woman, that boy, that girl start down that road to an end of great joy. Father, we thank you for making this world what it is. It is moral at its base. It is you at its base and every one of us is accountable to respond. So help us.